One day can change your life. Just one day can change your life. If I ask you to date what that day has been for you, what would you say? For many Christ followers, they would probably say it was the day that they encountered Christ. The day that that relationship began. This is certainly true for a man named Peter, whose life we're going to look at today. Peter, one of the twelve, were one of the men that Jesus called when he began his public ministry. After 30 years of private preparation, Jesus started his ministry. His effort to redeem and bring back the world that God created by calling 12 men with two words, follow me. And he called Peter. So Peter has a uniqueness that we don't have. We might think of a day, that the day that we came and met Jesus for the first time, but Peter actually met him face to face. Uh, I don't think any of us can say that. And yet we can think about it. Because that day changed Peter's life. And I imagine that if we had had the opportunity to not just come to Christ in a spiritual faith way, but could spend the day with him, that would change you, wouldn't it? Imagine spending a day with Christ. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, if you know him, you know what I'm talking about. If you're still searching this out, so glad you're here. The church should always be a place where you can ask as many questions and find answers for yourself in Christ. So wherever you are in your faith journey, I imagine we can all agree that a day with Jesus Christ would be a day that would change you. What if I said you could have ten of those days? Not just one, but ten. To actually be with Jesus. What if I told you you could have a hundred of those days? Well, we encounter in the twelve disciples, twelve men who spent almost a thousand of those days with Jesus. We know that Jesus' public ministry was three years approximately. Three times 365 is 1,095. So rounding it, Peter, along with the other 11, spent about a thousand days. Just think of one of those days and the change that would make. Imagine a thousand of them. Back to back to back. We meet Peter as he's fishing with his brother Andrew. We meet him early in the Gospels when Jesus goes and begins to pick the twelve who would follow him. This person who they were about to meet, who they would discover was fully God and fully man, would invite them not just to one of those dates, Not to ten or a hundred, but a thousand days to move with him, to spend time with him, to see him. So we meet Peter as uh, in all the Gospels where Jesus calls him and calls the other eleven. 
one of which, as I mentioned, was uh, Andrew, Peter's brother. Now, those of you who have siblings, brothers or sisters, uh, have you ever been picked for a team or a play or a trip with your brother or sister? It's an interesting dynamic, especially the older one, and Peter's the older one. And so from this day forward, as Jesus calls Peter to follow him, Peter has his brother with him. Actually, one more set of brothers, too. And so for the next thousand days, Peter, along with his brother and the other ten, walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, ate with him, rested with him, watched him, learned from him, absorbing And ultimately, when the the time came, confessing with his mouth that Jesus was the Son of God, the living God, fully God, fully man, who put on flesh like we put on clothes, who left his place in heaven with his Father and entered our humanity and came to us as a man, fully man, fully God. And while it's affected all of us and affected the world, these 12, for a thousand days, got to be with them. Imagine that. These are the only 12 men who had that vantage point. If we ask any of them, especially Peter, which day stood out? Like, which day? If you had to pick a day, which day would it have been? Some, you would have thought, might have said, well, the first day he called me. Peter might have said that. But we'll find out that there was one day towards the end that was probably the one that changed Peter forever. Over a thousand days, we see as Peter follows Jesus that his confidence grew, his daring became a little bit stronger, He had to think no more fish in nets. Now it's men. With the man that I believe is is God in human form. With me at his right hand. With my brother and the others who have become brothers. How each of these days, these thousand days, must have changed Peter. Bit for the good, bit for the worse. A true loyalty mixed in with a bit of human parado. We see that in Peter as he interacts with the twelve and Jesus. A humility of a tradesman turned into potentially a mover and shaker in a new kingdom that's to come. A human who's measuring his worth and place against the other men but is following the man. It had to be a bit confusing at times. And yet, when Jesus asked the twelve, who do people say that I am? It was Peter who spoke up. They all answered, but he said, I know. Jesus, I know who you are. You're the Son of God. And so this Peter 
saw Jesus in a way that, well, only about 11 others did. Over this thousand days. And yet one day came. One day out of so many good days. One day that for Peter, he had to then think this changed everything. One day that Peter would regret. He would probably regret it time after time after time. A day that would haunt him in so many ways. One day, after all these many days, that he would want to take back. A day that Jesus had actually predicted would happen before it happened. A day that may have seemed to Peter to cancel out all the other days. Let's read about it in Matthew 26. We start reading... In um, verse 32, 31. Uh, On the way, Jesus told them, Tonight all of you will desert me. But after I've been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, notice of all of them, Peter says, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you ever knew me. No, Peter. No, he insists. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Then the people who arrested Jesus led him to the home of Cephas, who was the high priest, where the teachers of the religious law and the elders gathered. Meanwhile, notice, Peter followed him at a distance and came to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and sat with the guards and waited to see how it would all end. He was still sitting outside the courtyard when a servant girl came over and said to him, You were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, outside the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, This is, this man was with Jesus the Nazarene. Again, Peter denied it. This time with an oath. With an oath. I don't know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must have been one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore, a curse on me If I'm lying, 
Listen to those words. A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you ever knew, knew me. And he went away weeping bitterly. One day, one day, one couple hours, one place, what happened here? How does a man, I mean, let's just be honest, my faith is where my faith is. But I have always thought to myself that if I could have physically been with Jesus, it would be that much stronger. I mean, it would be at a point that I think it would be so strong. There would be the kind of faith that I really wished I always had. There would be a, a it would be solid, it would be permanent, it, it, it still would be a faith, but it, ha- it would have a reality to it. I've always imagined that was true with these, these 12. And so how's this man come to this place after thousands of days, after a thousand days close to it, and deny that he even knew Jesus? What happened? Well, I think many times when we read this text, we we see the plan of God. Just like if we read about Judas, we see God's hand and we know that he's orchestrating the events exactly as he predicted and planned them. And I think sometimes when we read it, we probably don't feel the agony and the pain the loathing that Peter must have felt because of what happened? What happened here? This is language that I'm using in my own devotional life recently, so I'm just going to share with you. I am finding the longer I follow Jesus, in some ways the easier it gets, at least in this respect. That every day I can follow by faith or because of fear. By faith or fear. Now, being a preacher, I like words with the same letter. It helps me remember stuff. I can follow by faith or by fear. And as you then go through the Gospels, you will see Jesus saying to these men... The thousand day men, O oh, you of little faith, Jesus spent day after day, incident and event after event, building their faith on a boat in a desert, feeding people, healing people. And he was praying that their faith would always be strong. 
And yet there is fear. There is fear that as much as I believe, this whole thing could go sideways. Again, from my own life, I personally have seen this in the last year. After 30 years of ministry at three churches in the area, I stepped down from Christ Community, where I was for 21 years. It's almost a year now. And every day, as I re-enter the business world, go back to a, a business that I started years ago with friends in real estate, as I go back to that, every day I can feel in the morning, it, am I going to walk through this day by faith, or am I going to be overwhelmed by fear? It's like Peter in this courtyard, as things are happening... Fear took over. You know, he could have been strategic in some sense of trying to be there and being ready like he was in the garden. But fear took over. And and that's, I got to be honest with you, and maybe you can relate to this. There are days when I feel like I have a bunch of fears. And I have my faith. And so for me, this passage has been working on my heart because it's also true that like Peter in the courtyard, we tend to respond and get thrown off by the things that that see and that are right there. A servant girl, another one, a group. We respond out of fear to circumstance versus being secure and feeling significant that the God who came for a thousand days on this earth, though you could know him, has you. He's got you if you trust in him. And I suppose that in this place, at this time, fear won out in Peter. And he just couldn't say who he had known for a thousand days. He just couldn't do it. And so maybe this draws you in. And here now we come to a very, one of my favorite parts of Scripture. John 21. Because in the Gospels... After Peter's denial, we really don't see him in a significant way until John 21. The last chapter of John's book, you would think, okay, maybe this is Peter's last chapter, turns out to be a new beginning. In fact, I believe that if we talk to Peter, what we're about to read is actually, potentially, the day that changed him forever. So let's read it, a little bit of it. After all these days of being with Christ, Peter comes, and in verse 3 of chapter 21 of John, he says, several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, uh, Nathaniel, sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Peter, who's gone through this ordeal, 
this day of denial, says in John 21, what does he say? I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. We're going to learn in this passage that there are at least five lessons of how God restores us when we fall and fail. The first one is, is that God, if we can go back one, there you go. Uh, Failure often drives us back to the last thing we did well. Have you had a I am going fishing moment? Have you uh, gone through a period of something that was, was so awful or something that you felt like you blew it so much that you just are resigned to just not give up, but just go back to anything you knew how to do well before. You know, I suspect that's where we find Peter here. He's saying to the other disciples, the other men who had been with Jesus, like him for all this time, I'm going fishing. It may have felt to him in his heart, it's all he had left. I still have to survive, I still have to eat. Of all the days of his life, Peter had apparently resigned himself to the fact that he was back to fishing for fish. Even though he'd been promised something else, even though he expected something else, he was actually now catching or going to try to catch fish again. It may have been at the same spot. It might have been with the same boat. It might have been with the same nets and line. It it could have been in the same waters. We don't know. The very place where Jesus had said to him a thousand days before, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Of all the days of his life, this could have been the lowest I mean, the day of denial had to be, but the, you know how when you really blow it and then you have to live with it? It feels like it's more down and down. And sometimes the lowest point is when you just go back to whatever you think you know how to do. I'm going fishing. This could have been for Peter a day that was so raw and so bad. It could have felt like the denial had canceled out. That that day of denial had canceled out all the other days. So he goes back to the water. Alone. He wants to stay alone. He picks up lines. He picks up nets again, and he says to those with him, I'm going fishing. Little did he know that what was about to happen would probably be the most important day of his life. 
A day when he is probably feeling he's at the end of his rope, or in his case, the end of his line. Remember this. God does his best work when we are out of rope. When we're at the end of our rope. When we have tried everything we know in our own self-reliance and effort. When we get to that point, when we get to the I'm going fishing moment. Very often, in a new, real, tangible way, is when we experience God in a way that maybe we hadn't experienced him for a while. And so we find in this passage a belief that failure takes you back, in verse 3 for Peter, it takes you back to the last thing you thought you could do well. But God does not leave us there. And here's the second kind of point that we see in this passage. God allows us in those moments to face our failure. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. Interestingly, if we had time, they must have sensed that this was not a good time for Peter to be alone. Uh, we'll go with you. So they went out in the boat, and guess what? Didn't catch a thing. Can't even fish anymore. I can't even fish anymore. God allows us When we go back to the point that we think we can get our footing again, God will allow you to face what it is. And even if you put, you may succeed. But he may allow you in those times, in those moments, to allow your effort to fail again. But not without purpose. And that's the third principle we find. God meets us at the very point of our failure. Please hang on to this chapter. This is such a great chapter. Verse 4, at dawn, now Grant, get, get the picture. Peter is out fishing all night. Caught nothing. And Jesus... God meets us at the point of our failure. Jesus is on the beach. Verse 4. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who it was. He called out. I love Jesus. Gotta love this. He called out, Men, have you caught any fish? Moment. Does Jesus know whether they've caught fish or not? Sure he does. Why the question? Hey, men, have you caught anything? And they have to reply. And Peter has to say, no. God will allow you to come to a place of realizing that you just can't do this by yourself. And then if you trusted in Christ... 
both Old and New Testament, and every gospel and every letter gives you this promise. At those moments, God speaking, at those moments, I am right here with you. I am right here. I'm right on the beach. I don't care where you go. I don't care what water you you go out in. I will be right here on the beach. And God allows failure to reconsider where we are and what needs to happen. So we very often go back to the thing when we failed that we feel like we can still do. We will find that we are allowed to face that failure. And whatever it is, uh, what is it, maybe? Did you fail in a project? Did you fail in a relationship? Did you fail in, 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 in an academic or school setting? Did you fail in a team? Is there something that you just did appear? Peter? And it's at that point that Jesus comes and meets you there and does not leave you there. Let's keep reading. Because God always, when he meets you in those times, you know what he does? He wants, if you allow him, he wants to return you to his presence. Isn't that cool? He wants to return you to his presence. He wants you back where you were were before. Because no matter what the failure, no matter what the context, no matter what the place or country, what is true is that our life is everything it should be if we are in his presence. And so you'll notice in the rest of the passage Jesus doesn't rifle off a bunch of do's and don'ts to Peter. He doesn't, you know, give him a list and one, two, three. All he needs Peter to do is to be with him again. And if you're at a bad place right now, what God most wants for you, even if you don't fully know him yet, is to just be with him. So Jesus said, I love this part too, such a great passage. Verse 6, Jesus said, throw out your nets on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in because of nets, because there were so many in the fish. Now, this, again, do the fish know the right side of the boat from the left side of the boat? Like, you know, I don't, I don't do fish, so I don't know. Obviously, Jesus knew what he was doing because there were fish here. And suddenly, this had to have triggered some things for them. Because, verse 7, the disciples, the disciple that Jesus loved, said to Peter, notice, it's the Lord. In typical Peter fashion, he heard it was the Lord, and he put his tunic, his tunic on, because they were pared down for work, so he put clothes on. He jumps in the water... And he starts to head to shore. Forget the boat. I'm off. Right? And Jesus, I would have loved to have been with Jesus now. Because he had the, this is like so Peter. Like, don't just like bring the boat in. Just come to me. 
keep breathing. The others stayed with the boat because, you know, the boat's going to go away. And they pulled the load of loaded nets to the shore for they were only about 100 yards out. So we know Peter could swim at least 100 yards. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the nets. There were 153 large fish, and yet the nets did not break. Now, two quick things. I shouldn't take the time, but I'm going to. Apparently, there's a capacity for these nets around 150 to 155. Because they clearly thought they should have broke by then. And, interestingly, I've always wanted to know which of the guys had to count the fish. Can you imagine that? 46, 47, 48. Somebody said something. Oh, you got to start over again, right? I love that part. Love Scripture. you got to love Scripture. But here's, here's what's happening. Do you see it? Jesus is calling them and Peter back to be present with him. A thousand days, they knew what it felt like to eat with Jesus and share a meal and be on a beach and break bread and have fish. And here he is again. You and I can have a relationship with a God that wants you with him. And no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, you know, we would have to mess up super big to be bigger than what Peter did to deny Christ. And it's got to be a big super mess up. And yet the story says it doesn't matter because God says, come right here. Grab some sand, get a fish sandwich. It's me again, right here. And then as we continue reading the passage, we'll conclude in a couple minutes with this. God not only returns him to his presence, but God returns him to what he called and commanded him to do. In verse 15, after they eat, Jesus says, Simon Peter said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Super interesting question. Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. And feed my lambs. A second time, Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Next one. And then Peter was hurt that Jesus asked a question this, this another time. Oh, maybe I missed one. Did I miss one? My bad. Are we good? You want to go back? There you go. Jesus re- repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know, first one. Second one. Do you love me? Keep going, see if I get it right. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. So look at your notes. <laughs> look at your Bible. 
He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Three times Peter denies Jesus. Three times Jesus asked him, do you love me? In places where we have failed, we will find our human way back to wherever we think we can stand. And God will allow you to go there. He will allow you to to maybe even not catch anything. But he will show up. He was there all along, and by his spirit, he will prompt you to come back into his presence, to enjoy his fellowship, to enjoy communing and being with him again. And through that, he will work in your life through his spirit to ask the things that he needs to ask so that you can be restored to the things he calls you and commands you to do. So here's my soapbox today. After all this being said, here's my soapbox. No matter what you have done, no matter where you have been, God wants you with him. He will restore you to a thing that he calls you to, which will make your life incredible. It will be a life of incredible days, doing incredible things, not by human standard, but by the standard of our Lord and Savior, who will do his work through you. What a great place to be. I don't know that Peter had grandkids. But if he did, I suspect that of all the days, the one that he might have talked about and remembered the most was on this beach in this last chapter, which proved not to be his last chapter. And it's a reminder that no matter where you are or feel like you are, it's not a last chapter. One day with Jesus. How about 10 days with Jesus? How about 100 or 1,000? How about every single day of your life you can be with Jesus? That's how he set it up. He went and sent his spirit in my heart and yours. So every day, you can be with him. Let's pray. We're going to pray and invite uh, the band to come back up and we'll continue our worship. Father God, I can only trust that uh, this is your soapbox. It's been my prayer this week that this would be your soapbox, not mine. What would you stand on a soapbox to say? What have you said to us in Scripture? Staying on a soapbox.
What you said is this. That we have fallen. That we have failed. That we have sinned. We have separated ourselves from you because of our behavior, our thoughts, our lack of faith. And yet you say to us, I'm on the beach of your life. Come with me. Enjoy my presence again. Trust in Jesus and believe on him that on the cross he forgave everything that separates you from God. Believe that. Say that as a prayer if you've never done it before. And know that every single day is a day with God. Father, we thank you that you're incredible, that we can love you, and we can spend every day of our lives with you. In Jesus' name, amen.